Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 43. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and returning with me today is my inspiring, dedicated, and enjoyable guest co-host, Alan Sanders. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks for inviting me back. Had a blast early on in this season, and I cannot believe how lucky I am to be asked to come back for what (laughs) we're going to talk about this week. Probably one of my all-time favorite moments in all of moviedom as a kid seeing this, the whole light cycle scene. God, I wanted one from the time I saw this movie. I'm like, I wish they could create something like this in real life. Yeah, this is a, a signature, this, one of the signature scenes of, uh, of this movie for sure. This and uh, probably the, the ring game that they played uh, in, a, in a trio of minutes that we just went through earlier. They're both, they're both like little, little, little chapters of Tron that you can hold up and say, this is the movie if you wanted to show somebody what it is. Do you want to... Um, well, you know what's, you know what's amazing about this? And I know we, we're, I don't mean to like sabotage at the beginning, but... Uh, if you've seen The Rise of Skywalker in the movie theaters, Walt Disney obviously putting some uh, trailers beforehand, and there's a new Ryan Reynolds movie coming out next year where he's sort of caught in a video game. Yeah. And I thought, how amazing is this that a Walt Disney production back, you know, in the early 80s here about being trapped in a video game, and yeah. they're still going to go forward and tell a modern day version with basically the same idea. It's just updated for the kind of video games we play today. But to talk about the ring scene today, we're going into the light cycles. It's cool how we've come full circle and we're still talking about what would it be like to be trapped in a video game. Yeah, yeah. All these years later, it's still a fresh premise that you know you can always go back to the well for. I like that too. Uh, it's okay. Well, let's just let's remind people a little bit about who you are, like uh, like what what uh, podcast you're doing and 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 what are you up to these days? Sure. Um, my podcast that I'm with with my co-host Walt Murray. We have it. It's called The Wilder Ride. We're Instead of doing a movie franchise, we actually are doing the body of work of Gene Wilder. We got inspired to start it after his passing a few years ago. We've done Young Frankenstein in our first season. We did Blazing Saddles in our second season. And as you're listening to this, we are midway through Silver Streak. We're doing the very first uh, comedy pairing of Gene Wilder with Richard Pryor. A uh, very, very fun movie that we're, in, we're we're really enjoying. And considering that the Movies by Minutes community is also doing the collaborative uh, effort, the Hitchcock Minute, looking at North by Northwest. It was great for us because Silver Streak was a direct kind of ripoff slash impersonation of North by Northwest, but done in a Gene Wilder fashion. So uh, just enjoy being involved with talking about movies and diving right in. All right. Uh, well, I don't know if we went through this the last time, but do you remember the first time you saw Tron? I do. Uh, it was one of the first times I went to go see a movie by myself in the theater. It was me and my brother. He's two years younger than me. Uh, the very first movie I ever saw in the theater alone, which is ironic in the year that it happened, was uh, 1982's Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Two. There you go. And growing up, we had a, a, a mall open close to where we lived, just on the outskirts of Detroit. And my mom loved it because the mall, uh, the theater did not have an exterior entrance. You had to go into the mall to go to the movie theaters. And there was like eight different theaters, but that way she could drop us off to go see a movie while she shopped and come back to get us. There was no way we would sneak out through the backside of the theater or something to go outside. We had to come back into the mall to leave. Right. So yeah, my brother and I wanted it. We saw the previews on TV. We were big into video games. We grew up getting our very first console was the Atari 2600. So this idea 
of, oh my gosh, we get to play video games and now we see what happens when someone gets pulled into the video game world. Oh yeah. As uh, as I think we were preteens, I was 12 years old when I saw this in the theater. Not even 12. I was 11 and a half Perfect. when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. That's that sweet, sweet age. We've talked a little bit about these uh, movies that make a huge impact in your life. And a lot of people, it seems to be like if you're between the ages of 10 and 12, you know, and you see Ghostbusters or 10 and 12 and you see Star Trek 2 or Star Wars or something like that. That's the one that just like nuclear bombs your whole mind and becomes like a deciding factor in who you turn out to be kind of thing. Like, so that's if you were 10 or 11 in the summer of 82, as we both were, then that really uh, that really helped form who oh, you were culturally, you know, with Conan and Star Trek 2 and Tron and poltergeist and et and all this kind of stuff was just like bang road warrior is like bang 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 just card after card of amazing film and you know so people that were 10 or 11 in 84 had a different thing or 10 or 11 in 77 they had a, they had a, a slightly different thing so we had someone that was on here before his he was i think 18 or whatever when uh, tron came out so he saw it and he liked it but he was like yeah that's pretty good you know, when he was ten or <laughs> when he was ten or eleven, that was like uh, you know seventy nine, seventy eight. So there was a different group of, uh, or even seventy five, seventy six. So it was a different group of uh, films that were in there. And yeah, not, for him, if he saw Jaws, let's say in seventy five, that probably is the movie that stuck with him. Yeah, for sure, right? Like that kind of thing. So yeah, seems like you saw Tron at the exact right age. I wonder about the movies that are coming out today. Like which ones are blowing kids' minds in that in that Wh- regard? You know. What's, what I can tell you about with my kids, although they're a little bit older, they grew up in that the perfection or the, the rising perfection of CGI. Yeah. So movies like Jurassic Park and the Harry Potter world. Sure. That's when they were in that sweet spot watching these kids on brooms or dinosaurs roam. And so that's their standard or Lord of the Rings. You know, that's their standard. And I, I've told this story before in other podcasts. So I thought, oh, you like Lord of the Rings? You like Harry Potter? Well, let me show you Willow. That's a movie I saw when I was a teenager. <laughs> You'll love it. Yeah. And I showed it, and halfway through, like, there's a big, you know, the two-headed dragon scene at the moat. Yeah. And all my, yeah, it just crushed my will. My, my daughter looks at me. She's like nine years old and says, Dad, why does the dragon move like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer thing sure. we watch at the holidays? I'm like, yeah. well, it's called stop-motion photography. It's not as good as CGI, but... Can't you pretend like, no, this is terrible, Dad. We're not going to watch this anymore. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So their standards are a lot higher now because of that. Yeah, yeah. As, you know, as mine were compared to my dad's or whatever, you know. Like, because I remember he showed me, I think we might have gone over this before, but he showed me King Kong, like the 1930s King Kong. Like when it was like, I think the first adaptation of King Kong. And he snuck out from his house to watch it in the theater when he was a kid and it scared the pants off him and he was had nightmares about it and he showed it to mm-hmm. me and i was like this this gave you nightmares this is <laughs> yeah, like a, this was this, the scary movie <laughs> this is like a sock puppet show like this is this is like you know this little completely fake gorilla and this completely fake dinosaur sort of just clashing a little bit you know inside an obvious set and i was like wow this is uh this is ropey <laughs> right and then but he's like, well, you have to understand, right? That was for thirty for nineteen thirty five or whatever year it was. This was incredible and super realistic, and the realization of a fantastic world. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know days. what? I, and I think maybe you and I are the same. If we're lovers of film and cinema, now that we're a little older, we go back. We try to leave those sort of yeah. 
technological benchmarks at the door and say, yeah. well, contextually speaking, at this time, no one had seen this ability to mix stop frame yeah. and live action to make it feel like the people were there. And even if it looked a little off, no one had ever seen that before. So to them, that was cutting edge. Yeah. Just like when our parents saw the first maybe blue screen effects, so like they had never seen that before. So yeah. for my girls, CGI is that benchmark. I'm just curious, what's what's going to be the new benchmark? Will it sure. be, you know, virtual surround? We, we, will we all go to the theater, put goggles on, and we're suddenly in the room with people? I mean, I don't know. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see what that next leap is. Yeah, I'm really curious about it too. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it happens. Maybe augmented reality, right? Where you just the movie happens around you, or something like that. Like not quite, right. not quite fully immersive. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I think it's the it's the gear that's going to make the big difference. If you have to wear a big ten pound helmet that blinds you and puts on earphones, so you're like completely unaware of your surroundings. I don't think that's ever going to be a big seller. You know, like, I don't think that's ever going to take over. I think enthusiasts will, will, will give it a shot. And there's some games out there that are good for gear like that. But I think there's something kind of a little too much about that. I think that's why I think augmented reality might be the, might be the future, but I don't know. We'll all find out together, right? Who knows? We sure will. So what happens in this minute? Uh, Flynn recognizes uh, Tron's face as Alan Bradley's face. And then they're transported to the light cycle grid to start the light cycle game. So, yeah, Flynn uh, says, Alan. And Tron asks, where did you hear that name? In quite a bit of an aggressive manner, I thought. And I can really see the daytime TV Western actor here in Bruce Boxleitner in this line. Like all he needs is a, a mustache and a horse and this delivery, you know, is, I'm, I'm the new sheriff here. Or you take your hands off that cattle, you know, or whatever, you know, I can really see that in him here. Cause he was doing a lot of Westerns at the time. He was doing yeah. a Western. He was doing a Western when he got the script for Tron, apparently. Now, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, did you, especially at the same age that I was seeing this movie, if you ever had a character that had your same name, did you somehow feel like that was special as if, they named him after me, or the, my name's up there. Because I am. I Alan's imagine. not used a lot in movies, and when I had a main character in this movie, and his name was Alan, I was like, oh, "That's exactly my name." Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I didn't put that together. That's right. A couple of Alans. Yeah, that must have been pretty thrilling. I'm, you know, my name's Duncan, so there's not. I can't really think of a. Well, there was. Uh, yeah, Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod from Highlander. That was one that always uh, there was that. And if you were out. a fan of Prince of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the family steward of the house of of uh, Nottingham, not of of, uh, of uh, Robin Hood's home, it was Duncan. Oh, uh, I know. Was left blind, and so uh, I yeah, it's not a, it's not as as common a name either. You know, it's no. not the Frank, Jim, John, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If your name's Mike, you're in. Pretty much every movie you're that's in, been you're made, in every movie. Right? <laughs> like it's something that happened. Uh, yeah, in Game of Thrones, there's Sir Duncan the Tall, and I'm a pretty tall guy, so that was like, oh, excellent. Hey, Sir Duncan the Tall, fantastic. So that's something that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> he doesn't come up a lot, but at the very beginning, so, there's a, a scene of yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't happen as often as as other names, that's for sure. But I can see it being a real thrill because Alan's and for some Alan, reason. Alan's one of yeah, those for ones some that's reason, not super common. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It's yeah, not like... It's not. And it's, it was spelled exactly like my name. I've got a... My mom is uh, French-Canadian. She grew up... Uh, gr uh, she was actually a Canadian citizen when they moved to d m the United States when mm. she was a kid. 
So she always did French spellings of almost everything, and I almost was spelled A-L-A-I-N, ah. but they dropped the I and just spelled it A-L-A-N. So, um, and I run into so many people who they always misspell my name. They want to go A-L-L-E-N yeah. or A-L-L-A-N. I'm like, no, it's just four letters. It's just A-L-A-N. <laughs> yeah. so, just like Alan Bradley here. So I, I just, as a kid, don't ask me why. It's a stupid thing, but... I was like, oh, my God, he's got my name. And, <laughs> and and he looks like Tron, and Tron's the hero, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I like the uh, circuitry pattern on the walls here in this minute, too. This is a really unique room. It's very, very red with this, uh, you know, it almost looks like red velvet wallpaper, like that 1960s velvet wallpaper you'd see, except it's a circuitry pattern instead of paisleys or whatever. I think it's almost like it sets the stage that this is like the lobby before you enter the battle zone. Like it, when you play the multiplayer games uh, today, yeah, the multi massive multiplayer. This is like the lobby where we're sort of kind of in the game, but you're not yet playing the game. Yeah, you're hanging out before the game starts and you're getting ready. Uh, then Flynn says, well, that's your name, isn't it? And Tron responds, the name of my user and Flynn does a great sort of uh, what kind of take here. You know, he's like, I, your user? What this, what's going on here? And I don't know, like more and more I'm realizing that this film wouldn't be nearly as good without Jeff Bridges. Like no disrespect to the other actors, but he really elevates the material. Like his whole, there's so many takes in here where he's like, huh? You know, or like what? You know, or, or he's mm-hmm. really trying to, he really feels like he's in the world and he's reacting to the world. Whereas I can sort of, I, I, you know, I can sort of sense that everybody else is a little, maybe not lost, but just kind of shouting words into the void because they're on a black stage and they they don't quite get what's going on. Yeah, and I think we talked about this the last time I was on is something about Jeff Bridges, and and maybe the other actors were told be a little bit more, maybe that sort of over exaggerated delivery, that sort of as you, you know we talked about Bruce Boxleitner kind of maybe a little over the top. Everyone feels sort of like almost polished too much because they're maybe yeah. this computer world where Jeff Bridges is more raw, which yeah. kind of sets him apart. And maybe it's the talent of the actor, who knows? But for some reason, it does come across as very natural that he's still trying to figure out what the heck's going on around me. Yeah, for sure. Then we get these three other red programs walk in to take their place at the other side of this little red hallway lobby thing here. And Flynn is still the only one wearing the one-shoulder tunic thing. Flynn, Ram, and Tron mm-hmm. are all wearing different outfits, but the three red drivers, it looks like they're all wearing the same thing. And they walk right. in pretty pretty easy breezy, confidence. You know, they're not fresh fish. They're very calm, but they're not really sneering or anything either. They don't have a lot of bravado. They just kind of walk in and take their take their place. They're all wearing calf-high boots, and their leggings are pinstriped. But one scene, the, the wide shot here where you can see everybody standing is you can really see the need for those dance belts that they were talking about in this scene. Because, <laughs> like, even if, like, they're presumably they're all wearing dance belts in this shot. I think this was one of the earlier shots that they shot. But you can really see some specific shapes. <laughs> and, and uh, What's with the oblong? Yeah, right? Dude, you're... <laughs> A little to the left there. Are you just or are you just happy to see me? Well, I'm about to dance in the Nutcracker. Hey, hey. I can't wait to race. Yeah, I I can tell, buddy. 
Yeah. Hey. 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 I know we're trying to keep it PG. Trying to keep it PG. Well, that's what they had to do, right? You're you're pulling me into a different side. That's right. (laughs) Like, oh. They saw right, the, yeah. I will stop myself right now. Well, that's what happened. Like Disney saw the test footage and was like, okay, hard pass. We're going to have to figure something out here. And then they're like, okay, dance belts for all. Dance belts for everybody. This is a PG movie. Yep. Yep. Uh, I do think it's interesting that you talk about, uh, and we, did, we hadn't had a chance to chat with him in the computer world the first time, so we're seeing him here, mm. of uh, wearing the tunic. Didn't the, the guy that he fought in the, the double rings, didn't he have a tunic? Yeah, they were both uh, both conscripts. They both yeah. had their tunics. Crom also had So a... I'm wondering, didn't the other guy say, I'm not a security robot, I'm not a fighting program, I'm an actuarial program? No, actually... I'm wondering if... Ram Ram's the actuarial program. Oh, the, okay. The uh, Crom was, he's like, wait till my user hears about this. He's a full branch manager, which I think he's a, like a banking a banking program. So, uh, si- oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm merging things in my head because I thought for some reason maybe that denoted someone who was... More of a pacifist kind of role versus maybe one that's more security security oriented, it, like Tron. Yeah, you know, looking more like a warrior it could. versus, let's say, a citizen in Rome wearing just kind of a tunic. I was thinking it was just new people. Like, if oh, maybe that's it too. If you're new, I think after you you you've gotten a few battles under your belt, maybe you're gifted with some better armor, or you figure out, okay, I don't. This tunic just gets in the way, so you take it off. But Flynn hasn't had the chance to do that yet. And at the time, I don't think Crom really had either because he just gotcha. showed up. Oh, that's, a, that's good theory. So that's Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Tron. Yeah, then Tron asks, how did you know that name, right? And Flynn says, well, I'm a, uh, I'm a program from a user that knows Alan. You know, he's <laughs> trying to sort of like, how do I not tell these people that I'm a that I'm a user, and Ram chips in. He was disoriented in Transportron, and Flynn says, yeah, but I'm remembering all kinds of stuff. Like, my user wants me to go after the MCP. And I'm a little surprised because he says this pretty loud right in front of the other red team. Like, I sort of, I sort of, I would have liked a take here of the red team being like, uh, did he just blaspheme out loud? Like, go after the mcp what what did he just say <laughs> like that's pretty but you know i want this is also one of those things like the stage whisper on screen like when you yeah. do a play you can't really whisper to somebody otherwise yeah. the audience can't hear so you you suggest you're whispering and the audience in their head goes oh, okay only these two people can hear yeah yeah you're right it's pretty loud <laughs> but I, the way it's filmed and the fact that it stays on these guys you almost sense that, okay, only they can hear, but you're right. When you look at the wide shot, these other guys are like maybe four feet away on the other side of the yeah, wall. <laughs> that's right. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. If they're not on camera, then you don't even think that they might be hearing this. But Right. We, we forgot about them. They could be 100 miles away for now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tron responds with, my user wants that too. And Flynn says, I know. And they do like a, a little take, a take to each other. I, I, I'm always, I'm glad you brought this up right around second 26. I always find it interesting that for some reason they make that like obvious both head turns toward each other, lock that gaze for just that moment of like, okay, so are we on the same team here? Or how do you know this? I, I almost wonder what we're supposed to get out of that. If there's, is Tron thinking you, there's more to you right now than meets the eye. And, but we're about to go on the, on the grid and we can't really talk about it, but I'm going to talk about this later if you survive. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. That's the read I got on it too. Although, yeah, and I don't, yeah, and I guess Flynn is turning to sort of say, okay, man, we will, like, we will talk. Let's, let's, we got a lot of stuff to mm-hmm. talk about. So 
we'll do this now, but we're gonna we're gonna catch up later, kind of thing. You can see lots of uh, light pops here that were used to disguise the film order mistake here. This is this is kind of a rough scene. I don't know if it's because it's got a red background, but you can see that it's it seems a little a little ropier and a little more jagged than uh, than a lot of the other shots in the film. So it's composited. Yeah. I know the director mentions that this is a composited shot. So he he often shot all the actors separately before comping them together because that would give him more leeway in the editing later, but also because the cameras, the, the huge, huge, you know, 65 millimeter camera that they used, the depth of field was so shallow that you had trouble mm -hmm. keeping like, like if you were on someone's face, the tip of their nose would be out of focus and like the back of their head would be out of focus. It's like a really shallow depth of field. So if you had someone standing right in front of the camera, they'd be really blurry. And when you're trying to map people out, there's uh you you can't have anything blurry right, right. everything everything's got to be really crisp and uh the action shots needed like tons of light for the cameras to get a good crisp image with no no motion blur in fact they kept browning out burbank they kept like they causing brownouts in uh, in burbank cuz they were using so much light to to get it into the cameras and uh, after that, they switched to AC power, but that resulted in a hum from the wires that the sound guys <laughs> kept picking up. But mm -hmm. um, but when they do that back, so you can see that back and forth when Tron says, where did you hear that name? And Flynn's like, that's your name, isn't it? And Tron says the name of my user. You can see that the person in the foreground with their back to the camera is like plainly a still image, like a cardboard cutout that's just pasted in there. I didn't. I didn't notice that until now. Until you know, I heard that in the director's commentary, and I was looking at the clip. I was like, "Wait a second, yeah, the back of Tron and the back of Flynn when they've got their back to the camera right. is just." And like if you don't a, point it out and pause, you don't necessarily realize it. But then yeah. you go, "Wait a minute, there's like not even gentle motion, not even it's, there's nothing. It's it's like rock solid still." Yeah. Right. So, and it's uh -huh. kind of, it's interesting to think about because they were all performing. I didn't realize that a lot of them, if there's a couple feet between the characters, then they they were quite often shot separately. So they're on a black set, no nothing around other than like a cardboard, like a like a box with some black velvet on it, and they're in a white suit and they're being shot in black and white, and quite often the other actor isn't even there. So right. they're really, you, really shooting in a vacuum here, which is a, a bit more common these days, I think, with the Marvel movies and stuff like that to to shoot like that. But back then, I don't. I think that was really, really uncommon. No, I'm sure they were they were thinking to themselves, "What the heck are we doing?" Um, and, and just kind of to further the point for folks who want to go back and do the sort of really look at the scene, you can definitely see where it's a still image because there's no, at least I can in my shot here. There's no light fluctuation when we're on the back of Tron. And yet as Flynn's talking to supposedly Tron, you see those little imperfections and fluctuations of the light across all of his little yeah. you know, patterns. Yeah. And it's, it, it's such a short moment when it's going in full speed, you don't pay attention. But if you really watch when they're looking at each other's backs, you don't see the fluctuation of the, the, the image, the silhouette. You only see it on the person that's actually being filmed on camera, yeah. the person talking. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So there you go. And we get a shot of the maze of the city. And I think it's, I, I don't really know what to call it. The city, the, the the big maze thing that everybody's driving through. 
The Matrix. <laughs> it's the Matrix. That's what it is. And we see Sar- it's the computer world. It's the computer world. It's one. Of, it sort of seems like it's one of the cities in the computer world. Because when we first fly mm-hmm. in, it seems like there's a central I.O. tower in the middle of a maze like this. But there's several I.O. Mm-hmm. towers and mazes. So I'm not quite sure how that works, if they're different companies or if they're different. Well, they wouldn't be different companies, but they might be different aspects of... They're en- different servers. Different servers, different parts of NCOM, you know? There's the R&D division over there. Here's the military applications. Here's the medical applications. And these are all the, the different cities, maybe. That would be interesting. Well, they're all... Uh, I guess this is pre-internet, but in some ways, there's little, um, a little bit of a... Of a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This prescience of being able to predict the fact that these worlds would all be interconnected and different computer systems. And we did hear earlier in the movie about how the MCP has taken over other systems and has yeah. gotten, you know, in, you know, what, 13,000 or 1300 times smarter than he was when he first started. Yeah. That's sort of pr- prior to the internet that was sort of predicting prescient. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Prescient for how these systems that some, somebody saw at some point, these are all going to be interlinked. We're all going to have sort of this, cloud-based computing where everything exists out there and you just got to go find it yeah and that is that word is used so many times for this film it was so prescient it predicted so much it was so far ahead of its time there's stuff we're doing now that was invented during tron or at least approached or talked about with tron like you said with the free guy movie that's coming out with ryan reynolds and it's uh it's fascinating right there's a lot of stuff in here that was brought up later that they touched on first and uh that's why mm-hmm. I love, that's what part of the reason why i love this film so much oh yeah it is can i tell you i know it's a side jaunt but you know if you listen to the wilder ride you know one Let's of the things it. we do is we we spend time on the rabbit trails uh i don't know if you have it available i think it's all of north america i don't know if is disney plus available for you yeah yeah i've been watching okay. uh, uh, all the stuff on there so uh, everyone wanted to ask, okay, so once you got Disney Plus, what was the first thing you saw? And I am not joking. It had nothing to do with the fact that I was on the show with you. Yeah. In fact, it was the last thought in my head. I just said, I've got Disney Plus. The very first movie, the the absolute first thing I streamed was Tron. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That's really, I really just wanted cool. to see it. I, I, I don't have it on DVD. Uh, I grew up where it was on, uh, uh, I had it on cassette. Yeah. So if I ever wanted to see Tron, I either had to go, you know, stream it, but I didn't own it. I still don't own a copy on Blu-ray. I need to go get, like, Tron. But I was like, oh, I've got Disney Plus now. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do, I watched Tron and then I watched The Black Hole, back to back. That was that was my first <laughs> two things that awesome. I watched on, on Disney Plus. So I thought you might appreciate that, that. That's how much I love this movie, that it was the first thing I wanted to go see. Excellent. Excellent. No, I do appreciate that. So we keep uh, panning down past the wall, and we see a recognizer patrolling this wall here, and then uh, guarding the outskirts of the arena. And guarding. actually, that's kind of funny yeah. because it comes in at the. Uh, we'll see it at the end of the week, trying to prevent their escape. That's right, and we see a white grid on a black ground, and you can really see the linear movements of the camera here as it sort of stops suddenly to start rotating, and uh, it's a bit jerky, and that's like an artifact of the earlier animations when a lot of cameras they didn't have a lot of control in terms of linear you know or curved motion or coming slowly to a stop or turning a corner it was all like go here stop turn stop you know a lot that's why most of the cg shots 
in this movie are like locked off cameras. It's rare that you mm-hmm. get cameras that are moving. So this scene, I think, has most of the moving cameras in the film that, with all the CG. You know what's crazy, though? if and, and maybe you remember this when you were a kid. I felt like because it was a grid, it was almost that IMAX feel of I was really moving with the camera because you have so many lines moving past your eyes Yeah, that it felt almost... Like I was on a ride at Disney at that moment. I oh, just yeah. felt, even though I was in my seat, it played that 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 optical illusion trick of movement. Yeah, yeah, it was dizzying in the theater. This when it when it swings around real close to the floor and then comes up and there's all these lines going past. Like where, yeah, because we start to race along the floor and for just a second you get that uh, sort of parallax perspective illusion thing where the grain where it's hard to tell if the grid is racing away from us or towards us. Exactly. Exactly. Until you realize, okay, now the far wall is getting closer, so now we're moving forward. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, in the dailies, actually, Lisberger mentioned that. He said, oh, looks like the grid's traveling backwards there. But the shots were so hard to get, and the effects team was feeling so amazed and triumphant that they had a a direct, you know, just they they were sort of on the edge of saying, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, so what? (laughs) You know, like, this took six months to make. Oh, it looks like it's going backwards for a second. Uh Uh-huh. Well, too bad. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, and so does sometimes helicopter blades when you're looking at it, and so does wheels on yeah. the, with your, you know, uh, spokes of wheels on the interstate. It's it, just this. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I yeah. did, I never had an issue with it. I think it was just again as a kid thought I was actually flying along inside this world. For sure. And now with our bigger screen TVs, you go back and when I watched it, you still have almost that sense of like. I don't want to call it stomach turning. Maybe I need a bigger TV. I'll, I'll tell the wife that for Christmas. But for now. <laughs> Uh, I still love that motion cap, that motion that the camera has for yeah. this moment of swinging and seeing how big this light cycle arena. And of course, it calls back at the very beginning of the movie. You you see people playing the the the, the light cycle game. We saw a, a snippet from outside in the arcade, yeah. and then we get into the theater or into the actual world of the of Tron. And you know, Sark beats the guy, so we know what it kind of looks like. But this is now. Oh, we're we're gonna see this play itself out now. Yeah, yeah, and that's one thing that they sort of touched on in the ring game, uh, or hyperball as it's called, is that during that game it cut to kids playing the game in a bus station, right? And so when Flynn mm-hmm. when Flynn pauses and is like, "I'm not gonna kill Crom," the kids are like hammering on the buttons, going, "Ah, oh, the game just froze. What's going on? It's not it's not working." So, but mm. they cut that out because I think that really confuses the audience of like, okay, so... Yeah, I'm glad they did that because had they done it, I would have thought, okay, well, if there's two people on the in the real world controlling these characters, and that means even Flynn is being controlled, and that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make... So that's what I'm wondering about this light cycle race, if there was a similar scene where this is supposed to be being played by people in the real world. And so when it kind of goes takes the direction that it does you know who's got the free will who's the puppet and that's something that i'm kind of glad they just cut out and i'm like okay we're just going to leave that alone (laughs) and we're just going to focus on what's happening inside the grid let's see here so yeah we zoom we can still hear oh yeah we hear a voice saying prepare to transport to light cycle grid and we hear the hum of sark's ship in the background and then we zoom in on the wall of the grid and we see a few small pulses of light and we cut to that same transporter resing effect that we had before that I absolutely 
just love. I cannot get enough of these incorporation sequences of these coming into being with that hoop of light, just doing two passes, like one sort of primitive grid, and then the full person appears. Uh, I just get chills every time I see it. I love it. I wish that was something I could just do in real life, just make something <laughs> appear that way or, or just transport from place to place that way. I like it better than the Star Trek transporter effect. It's I think it's my favorite transport effect in oh, any no. movie. Oh, no. I think I'm with you. If, and if you like pause here in this minute at right at 43 seconds, you get that ray traced outline that you would, you typically see when people are developing initial wireframe models for graphics before they actually add the textures and the, and the light level and the whatever yeah. else they're going to do to create the vi the visual graphic that we take for granted now in so many of our 3d video games that we play, you know, like the, the call of duties of the world. Yeah. Uh, I love that for just a moment. It's like you said, it's first the grid outline, the, the, the tracing of the, the lines themselves before they can actually fill in the rest of the detail. Yeah. Yeah. And we get another great take from Flynn here from Jeff Bridges as he looks around after transport and he just says, <laughs> wow. You know, cause I think this is the only time since his arrival that he got transported like that. And he's just, right. He's, cause they got escorted to the, uh, game where they play the 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 ring game. Yeah. So this is the first time they've been trans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and we see St Sark up in his cruiser, and he presses a big green button on his dashboard with a light cycle pictogram on it. And we cut to one of the absolute signature pieces of this entire film. Small, mm -hmm. like batons of light rise up in front of Flim, Ram, and Tron. They reach out to grab them. The red team goes into a sped up crouch looking almost slightly involuntary and their blue bikes form around them with a burst of great electronic sounds and then we cut back to Flynn, Ram and Tron and they grab their batons go into the same sped up crouch and their bikes form around them and it's a red bike for Ram, an orange or gold bike for Tron, he calls himself gold leader so it's I guess a gold bike and then a yellow bike for Flynn and then they're off they tear away from the wall now, what yeah, the, it is interesting. It's amazing, uh, and we'll talk about it maybe more in tomorrow or uh, Wednesday or the next minute. Whenever we, I don't know, whenever we're coming back. <laughs> it's yeah. your show. Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. I always got, I always got bothered a little bit by the fact that you had a red team and a blue team, and the red team has all unified look in their cycles, but the blue guys have all different color cycles. So that was one of the things when I was a kid. I had a hard time following who was who. I assume the good guys are in blue. Why aren't they in the blue bikes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, I think this is a throwback because in the very early scripts, the bad guys were all blue and the good guys were yellow. And then they changed. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they changed the bad guys to red and the good guys to blue. It, I don't know why they made the bad guys blue. Maybe it's like a, I guess they didn't have the blue screen of death at that time, but. But I think they want. But it's it. still interesting that it's two teams. It's Team A versus Team yeah. B. One team has a unified look. You would think, okay, anybody that's a blue trail that's on my team, you would think they would have the other team all the same color. But I, I, I'm just maybe we'll get to it tomorrow or Wednesday because I'm curious what notes you have. I don't know why still outside of maybe trying to call out the individual characters, and they thought the audience would want to know, okay, which bike is Flynn's versus Tron versus Ram. And they don't care about the three, you know, red shirt Star yeah. Trek guys. They're gonna, they're gonna buy it. Um, you know, I don't well, know if I, that's what their point thinking was. I, I sort of thought it was like, if people were playing this in the real world, 
then Flynn, Ram, and Tron are player one, player two, and player three. And they're all clustered around a video game system playing this game. So they need different light trails so that they can differentiate between themselves. Whereas all the blue guys are just the CPU. They're just the automatic players. That's not any real world players. You're just like the bad guys that you're trying to defeat. So they don't need to be differentiated between the two. But if there's three players in the real world playing this game and they're puppeting Tron, Ram, and Flynn, then they need to know who's who. That was the that was what I sort of took it as. But I agree, like the that bad team is uniform and then you know, the good team has all these different colors. That was that would be my idea. They don't directly address it. They just sort of talk about how the colors initially were different choices. Gotcha. Okay. The cool Fair thing, enough. One of the cool things about this transformation sequence is that it was done almost entirely by hand. This, uh, the grid lines, the glows, the overlays, like all of it. Like they, I think they had a, a still image of the bike that they could use to sort of composite in there, like cut out and put on the film and composite in there. Uh, but they had to create everything else by hands over top of the sped up footage of the actors going into a crouch. And there's there's a ton of shots in Tron here that people assumed were CG, but they're not. They're done by the old hand Disney animators that have done effects animation. Like all of like when they're throwing the disc and they get a blue glow mm-hmm. from the disc on the characters, all that was done by hand. Right, it's all it's all it was all just very plain black and white, and any glows or anything like that that you see is a lot of it was added by by hand, and it's kind of like I don't know. I guess it's sort of like Fury Road when everybody's like, "Oh, it was just all stunts, it was all practical effects, and there was no CG in Fury Road." I was like, "Well, almost every shot in Fury Road had CG in it. It was just done really well." Right. You know, they used it to take out the safety nets and use it to sort of shore up and showcase the stunts. And and it's kind of like that here. There's only, I think, about 16 minutes of pure CG in Tron. And the, a lot of the rest of it is just done by, done by hand with old school techniques. So it's really cool that they managed to marry it all together to, uh, to look cohesive. Like not only were there four different companies working on the CG in this film that they put together and it looks like it was made by one company, but they also had a bunch of hand-drawn effects. And this just, just on the rare occasion, one of them will stand out as kind of like, oh, that was obviously hand-drawn, but for the most part, it looks like they're all computer-generated, which I think is fantastic. Oh, it is, especially at the time it came out. And that's the other thing to keep in context. You know, we, we mentioned King Kong earlier. This to me is that that huge leap forward in letting the computer help tell your story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they talk a lot about how it's kind of a shame because the the fact that this movie didn't do that great means that all the research and development they were doing just kind of got scrapped. They're like, oh, well, it failed. And then <laughs> 10 years later, they're starting to do more digital work. And the guys that worked on this film are like, well... <laughs> That's the stuff we were doing in 82, you know, and now it's 96 and you're like, hey, what if we did it this way? And we're like, yeah, we were doing that. We were doing that. You know, we were doing that like 14 years ago. But because the movie failed, everybody just kind of stalled and nobody thought to make movies that way for another 10 years. So we could have been further ahead of the curve. If this movie had really, you know, broke the box box office, We'd be much, mm-hmm. uh, the effects in films right now, I have no doubt, would be way better than they are now. 
even though they are. That's all. That's awesome. They're still great. I right hate now. that it didn't. Um, and you know, we talked about this as last time as well. That this movie at least deserved technical awards at the academies because it did push the boundary to yeah. a completely new level. And even though it went unrealized for, like you said, more than a decade, you still look back. This is the film that did it. Yeah. So all six bikes launch off the wall, and the blue leader says, "This is blue leader." But the rest gets lost to the end of the minute. So that brings us up to the end of the minute. And we can talk a little bit about the differences between the novel and the screenplay. And there's a there's a scene that was cut that's in the novel and the screenplay where after the ring game, Flynn is walking around and he's really feeling the death of Crom and he's not in a good headspace. And there's some red guards walking around and they shoulder they shoulder Flynn and they're like, Watch it, rookie. Then Flynn unholsters his disc and goes into a crouch like try it and the uh the guards are like oh he's not worth it come on come on dave let's go let's go and they 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 back off and then he goes to Mm. the uh, light cycle holding pens and then he realizes oh i'm gonna be put into game after game until i die this isn't gonna be like one game a day this is just gonna be like game after game after game until i die so that's when he's like okay something's gotta something's gotta like change and it mentions that when he meets Tron in the in the little lobby there, the red driver the red drivers all come in all swaggering and belligerent and slapping each other's shoulders and stuff like that. So very different from from how they come how they file in in this actual scene. Gotcha. Okay. And also the bike colors. Ram gets a green bike and Flynn gets a red bike. So they change that for the movie too. So that's it. Okay. Yeah, so I guess uh, see you on Wednesday if you want to come back and uh, see what happens in the act. We get to the race proper, the fantastic, the race proper, and uh, you know when we uh, when we come back next, then I got to tell you about a video game and how it matches this game or this what we're seeing and what I used to play all the time on my computer. Okay, uh, we'll do we'll do that on Wednesday. I'll put a little tease for people to come back. Outstanding. That sounds wonderful. All right. Well, uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you if they want to hear more of you? Yeah. Um, our regular podcast is called The Wilder Ride. You can find us at thewilderride.com. We look at the films of Gene Wilder, much like this film, one minute of the movie at a time. My co-host is Walt Murray. We've already done in season one, Young Frankenstein, season two, Blazing Saddles. And we're in the midst of Silver Streak, the first pairing of the comedy pairing of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, having a great time with that. Uh, you can find us on almost all of your podcatchers. Obviously, the big ones, Apple Podcasts, but we're on Google Play, Stitcher. We're even on YouTube for those folks who want to just play it through YouTube on their TV or phone or whatever. And we also have a weekly news brief we like to put out. It's called the Wilder Ride Flash Briefing, where it's just a 10-minute or less news segment we like to do. It's our own version of doing entertainment news. It's about movies and movie tie-ins, geek stuff, and some podcast news. Always a lot of fun, and that's the Wilder Ride Flash Briefing. Both of those available on your podcatchers of choice. That's wonderful. When you were like, uh, we're going through the films of Gene Wilder, much like this one, for a second I was like, was Gene Wilder in Tron? Like, no. <laughs> I was like, I <laughs> Sorry, I meant much like this one minute at a time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It made sense, but I had this, <laughs> this fantastic flash of like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in their Tron costumes in the world of Tron. Trying to like... <laughs> make sense of it i want to see that movie now that would be very very funny (laughs) i think 
yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Uh, go to Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking or drop us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or come to the Facebook Tronologically Speaking Minute by Minute listeners page. Uh, I got the music at the beginning and the end from Pond 5. They have a lot of different music there for all your needs. And also a uh, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute because they started it all and now there's a huge, bustling, wonderful, encouraging community. If you go on over to moviesbyminutes.com, you can check out the huge list of movies that have been done so far. And if you don't see your favorite movie there, give it a shot, get in touch and give it a shot because it's a lot of fun. All right, Alan, do you want to do a little end of line on three? Sure. All right. One, two, three. End of, end of line. line. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. I did it so much faster than you. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, it was great. <laughs>